This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. So he'll tell the people, you know what? Uh, let me know what you want to do. I can, you know, there's three options in selling this property. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company, and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house-hacked, bird flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind-the-scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Shiloh Lundahl. Shiloh is based in Mesa, Arizona, and he has built an awesome business on the side of his child psychiatry practice and child early development practice. Um, he's got about 160 units now that he started building from 2008. Didn't really kickstart until 2010, 2014, when he started buying more deals and getting into more wholesale deals, which we talk a lot about on the show today. But um, it's just a really cool story that how, how he's built up this portfolio from pretty much nothing to now such a large size that's given him all this freedom in life. And it's a wide variety of different building types. There's single family, there's multifamily, he's got mobile homes. And we dig into all the topics, uh, kind of how he got into these, but also how he thinks anyone can do it, working a couple hours a week on a side hustle, or if you want to go full bore and go all in, you can definitely do it and scale that much faster. So he's got a great background and uh, just a lot of learning from this episode. The main learning I had from this episode was, as you guys know, this is a big emphasis for me, especially now reading uh, rocket fuel and thinking about visionaries and integrators and all that. Uh, I highly recommend that book, by the way. But he said his business really changed when he hired his first administrative assistant, who then turned into a project manager for his business. And it was just interesting to hear how he was able to scale so much quicker when he had 
help and he could work on his job that made him his high income, but then also have someone could go out and do the things for 10 or $15 an hour that just weren't a good use of his time, like negotiate with contractors or walk deals or even analyze deals or drop off checks. So many things that he wouldn't have been able to do if he didn't have an administrative assistant. So it was just really interesting to hear his logic on how he took himself out of the business and now what that's grown into with his other employees. Today's tangible tip, going off this motto of hiring and outsourcing things, you guys know I love this stuff. If you feel overwhelmed or over leveraged in your business, take it as a challenge today to put a job up on Upwork, Fiverr, or freelancer.com to get something off your plate. It can be a small thing, uh, such as analyzing deals or scraping data or making cold calls, or it could be more invasive, such as building presentations for investors or emailing on your behalf or doing your calendar for you. But it doesn't matter. Starting small is what it's all about and starting with one task. Once you've done it, you have the muscle that you can flex over and over. And it's incredible to see how it becomes a fun game of what you can outsource. So my tip is this week, even if it's just a test or a trial, put something up as a project on one of those sites. It's completely free. There's no charge to do it. And by doing it, you will take the first step in outsourcing something in your life that you either aren't good at or don't like doing. And from there, you'll see maybe it just might grow into something that could build your business like Shiloh did. So I love that stuff. I hope it can help you guys the way it's helped me. But if you have any questions also, always feel free to reach out. But that's today's tangible tip. Without any further ado, let's get into today's episode with Shiloh Lundahl. All right, Shiloh, what's going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have a great episode today, just based on a couple minutes of conversation before we record. You have scaled in a way that I think will help a lot of people that are listening to this show. Um, you've got a diverse background in different building types and different financing strategies. And it's something that I think in a short span, a lot of people would try to figure out or be asking the question, how could they do that themselves? So from a high level, Shiloh, can you just give us a quick view of how you got into real estate? And then also from a high level what you do in real estate today? Yeah, so real quick, I got into real estate back in 2010 when I bought my first rental property. And um, I was like a lot of people just listening to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the idea came to just, why don't I just get a rental property? It was in my neighborhood. And this was back when all of that house prices had depreciated a lot because of the you know Great Recession and, and the market crash. And so I was able to get a five bedroom, three bathroom home just off of a, you know, backing a golf course in my same neighborhood. I got it for like $93,000. It's like 2,500 square feet. It was awesome. Also, I had the idea of getting that property, but I had a, there was a family that I knew that used to live in the neighborhood, had moved out um, and, you know, gotten a, a larger home and everything was great. Then the market crashed. And then they were looking to become renters again and move back into our neighborhood because they, they really liked living there. So I connected with them and I said, hey, if I buy this property, would you guys like to live in this property? And they said, yes. And so I said, okay, well, let's make a deal if, because they had some rehab experience and things like that. And so I said, if you guys are willing to paint it and put in the new flooring, then I'll give you a discount on rent for the next couple of years. So they came in, they got the property, they painted it. They put a new flooring and they lived there for um, actually five years. And then I ended up selling that property to them. So it was a great you know, opportunity for them. They got a property that was nice the way that they liked it, painted the way that they liked it with the flooring that they liked. And um, they got to buy it a little bit under market value. I was happy because um, you know, they, were, they were friends 
And um, I was able to make about $50,000 on that deal. Well, that's how I got started. It was back in 2010 with just one single family residence. I bought it just off of the MLS. Like most brand new investors, they don't know exactly how to invest creatively and how to create equity when they buy properties. So they usually just buy a property through a realtor on the, off of the MLS or something like that. And um, they're usually buying it at market value and they have to come in with that down payment. And I did it just like most investors back again in 2010. I didn't do anything else until about 2014 when the building that I have, um, that I have my practice out of, because I'm a, I'm a child and family therapist and that's what I do as my job, as my career. But then I also invest in real estate on the side. And then in 2014, the building that I have my practice in came up for sale and I worked with the seller's realtor in order to purchase that building with a private money loan from a family member as the down payment. And then I got the rest of the loan from the bank. And then at the very end of that year, right after closing on the building, my wife and I were watching a lot, a lot of the HGTV, you know, um, what is it, just the TV shows on flipping houses and everything like that. And, you know, we looked at it and we said, man, these people are making a lot of money. We could do that. And so, uh, her and I decided we wanted to try something. And, and so I connected with my buddy who helped me buy that property back in 2010. Um, and he's awesome. His name's Jason. He'd be great for your show. Anyway, I connected with him back in 2010 and, uh, he then helped, um, he was doing a deal that year in 2014. And I said, Hey, I want to do a deal with you. And so he let me come in and be a hard money lender on a deal that he was doing. And then I got to do it with them and then learn the process. And then uh, at the end, when we sold it, I made about $13,000 as the hard money lender. And then he um, made about $40,000 and he was able to do it without using any of his own money. And so it was really interesting for me to be able to partner with him and learn that side. And so that's kind of got me really started at the very end of 2014. So 2015, we, um, my wife and I flipped three properties. And then 2016, I partnered up with this realtor buddy of mine and we flipped seven properties. And then in 2000, then we started seeing that the margins for flipping started to get smaller and smaller because there was just more people coming into that space. So then we switched our model from doing flipping to doing buy and hold, but we did it with the intention to lease option the properties. So we went to this small little three-day training on how to lease option. And we took the information there. We um, combined it with what I'd been learning on Bigger Pockets and other podcasts and things like that. And we created kind of, you've heard of Brandon Turner's Burr strategy. Well, I took the Burr and I added the lease option to it. So I call that the Burr Low strategy. And so we've been doing that and we have um, about 60 um, single family homes that we've done the Burr strategy with. And in 2000, very end of 2018, and then in 19 and 20, we purchased about six small mobile home parks. And so um, we are, our full portfolio is about 160 units, including a commercial building, a few small multifamily. So, you know, we have a 12 plex, a six plex, a couple of duplexes and triplexes, and then uh, these six mobile home parks and then about 60 single family homes. And we have that both here in Arizona and also we branched out uh, in 2000, 
uh, about 2020, we branched out into North Carolina and we have, I think, six or seven properties out there right now. And we're doing the lease option strategy out there as well. Okay. Awesome. So, so much good stuff there. The first place I want to start is why is it bad to buy a property in the MLS and not find something off market or undervalue? And then we'll talk about how, but why is that not a good strategy for a lot of people that are listening or a lot of people in, let's say corporate or just in, in what they've been told is you just find properties on the MLS and you buy them with a realtor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, that's a great question. And I wouldn't say that that's a bad strategy but I don't think that it is the most effective strategy. And what I mean by that is sometimes if you don't really know anything about investing in real estate, more than you know, the, average person, the average person, which is buy a property and then you rent it out, hopefully you're making a couple hundred bucks a month in, you know, in cash flow. And then over time, that property is supposed to appreciate and the tenant will pay down your mortgage and then the difference between what it appraises for and what you can sell it for and what you have the loan on it for, that becomes your, your money. That's your equity that you can then take. And you know, when you sell the property, you know, I just made 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in selling that property after four or five years. That's not, that's not horrible. It's not horrible at all. It's, it's actually a, a, a good strategy in how to create wealth. However, it's not the most effective strategy. Okay. It's a very simple strategy. And because it's very simple, everybody can do it. And because, well, let me rephrase that. Not everybody can do it. If you usually have to have at least 20% down in order to be able to do that. And so if you're buying a property for a hundred thousand, you have to have at least $20,000 or have access to $20,000 to be able to do this strategy. And if the property is 200,000 or 300, depending on your market, again, you have to usually have about 20% down. So it makes it very difficult to scale that model if you always have to keep 20% in each of your properties, unless you just have a whole lot of money to start out with. But a lot of people may not have a whole lot of money to start out with. And so they want to learn how to do it more creatively, more effectively mm -hmm. in order to be able to scale quicker. So what, what I've been able to do over time is what a lot of people that are really good at this are able to do, and that's find properties that are under market value, that after you fix them up, you, you have brought them up to market value. However, your total amount that you have invested in the property is not what the market value is. Meaning if I can go and I can find a property um, where I can buy it at um, maybe 65% of what it would appraise for, and then I go in and I add maybe 10% more in repairs and things like that to where I'm all in, about 75% of what's called the ARV or the after repair value, then I'm able to create 25% of equity. And then when I go to the bank and I'm able to get this property refinanced into a long-term loan, I'm then able to um, use that equity as my down payment. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to come in with 20 or 25% of actual money to, to build a portfolio. And so that's what my partner and I have been doing over the last three or four years is we've been able to find these properties under market value, bring them up, you know, put some, some money into fixing it up, have it appraised for higher. And then we go and we get them refinanced to the bank. And mm -hmm. then that, that equity that we've created has been our down payment. And so that's really how we've been able to scale quite a bit. 
So what are your favorite strategies for finding off-market deals or how, how are you finding off-market deals right now when, again, most people are thinking you find them on the MLS? Yeah. Well, actually, on the MLS, there are there are deals on the MLS. It's just more difficult to find them because, well, let me phrase it this way. It's more difficult to get those deals because more people are looking at the MLS for deals. Yes. And so when there's more competition, it becomes more difficult for you to get a good deal. So this is how we find most of our, our properties. Uh, I'll find them sometimes on Zillow or Realtor. Um, my partner who's a realtor sends out, you know, mailers for people looking to sell their house. And so if he goes into a home, somebody contacts them, contacts him and he goes into their home and, uh, you know, let's say it's a home that looks like it needs quite a bit of repair. So he'll tell the people, you know what, uh, let me know what you want to do. I can, you know, there's three options in selling this property. If you want, I can tell you some things that you can fix up. And if you fix it up, I can probably sell your property at this amount. Um, if you don't want to fix it up and you just want to sell it as is, then we can list it and have people come and take a look at the property. And then I can sell it probably at this amount, which is a little bit lower than if it were repaired. Or if you don't want people coming into your property and you want a quick sale, I know of an investor that will buy it for this amount. And so he gives them those three options and then just asks Smart. them, you know, which one might be, be a better fit for them. And then it's great for him because he's able to do any of the three, you know what I mean? And if um, they say, well, you know what, I'm not interested in somebody coming in and going through my property. I know it needs a lot of repairs. I'm moving, I just wanna sell it. You know what, I have a buddy who's an investor. He'll come in and he'll buy the property at this amount. And so then he contacts me and then we talk about it and then we go in and we buy the property under market value. So that's mm -hmm. another way of doing it. So through uh, the MLS or Zillow and then through his, um, marketing. And then another one that I've done a lot of is I buy properties through wholesalers. So I've connected with a lot of wholesalers in my area. And the way that I've done that is just through, um, through other investors that work with these wholesalers, or, you know, you can just look up wholesalers on, on Google house wholesalers or real estate investing wholesalers, and then put the city that you're in or the state or whatever. And then you'll probably find some of these wholesalers come up in a search and then just reach out to them send them an email saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking to um, buy some properties this year. Can you put me on your wholesale list? Also, if you go around and see those signs that say, we buy houses, just you know, get their number and saying, hey, I also buy houses. Uh, do, you, do you wholesale houses? And if they do, please put me on your list. Or you can ask the title company, hey, who are your investors that close a lot? Um, of properties, contact them, ask them who their wholesalers are, or do you work with wholesalers? And then just get their number that way. You can go through meetups and either meetup.com or you can go to actual meetups where you meet with people and you can get wholesale lists, or, or you, I'm sorry, you can get on wholesale lists that way by meeting with mm -hmm. other wholesalers. So there's a, a, you know, a ton of ways of getting on wholesaler lists, also through bigger pockets. So I'm on probably I don't know, 10, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm on, I'm on probably 20 different wholesaler lists mm -hmm. in my area. And I probably get about 100 different deals coming to me every day. And to be honest with you, I would say one in maybe a thousand deals is something that I would get. But if I'm getting 100 a day, that's like maybe one in every 10 days, there's a deal on there that I would like. You see what I'm saying? And so yes. I usually buy maybe two or three um, deals a month. Mm 
-hmm. And um, so that, that's worked out really well for us because that's a good flow for us getting just two or three a month. And, and that's kind of how we get a lot of our deals. And so those three main avenues. That's awesome. That was very clear. So thank you for that. I guess just one layer deeper down that path, because it is, if anyone is struggling for finding leads, that is one of the best ways to do it. If someone was, let's say, starting to get on those lists and starting to get tons of deals sent to them. So to that point, let's say now they got what they asked for and they're getting a hundred deals sent to them a day, but they don't understand how to analyze them or they don't really know their investment criteria. So let's say a uh, perfect example, someone sends you a deal or, or I guess another question, how do you sift through a hundred deals that are sent to you a day and know which are good and which are bad? So it usually takes me about, I would say throughout the entire day, about 15 minutes to go through 100 deals. And the reason that I can do that so quickly, because again, I'll get um, lists with, uh, here's three deals that we're wholesaling. Here's, uh, um, you know, 10 deals that we're wholesaling. Here's five. And so I get all of these lists that come to me. And the way that I can sift through it so quickly is I look to see the location first. Is there any deal that's in a location that I like to buy in? So Phoenix is a market that has a ton of areas that you can, you know, really nice areas and then areas that aren't nice that have really, you know, cheap properties. I don't know the Phoenix market really well. I know the East Valley market really well. So just east of Phoenix, you have Mesa, you have Apache Junction, you also have Gilbert and Chandler. And I don't own any prop, any investment properties in Gilbert or Chandler because they're a higher price point. But I own a lot in Mesa. I own a ton in Apache Junction. And then just outside the big metro, you have some smaller cities such as Casa Grande, Coolidge, Florence. And I own a lot of properties in those areas as well. I like the, the smaller towns just outside of the bigger metropolitan areas because you can get prices for cheaper. And yet you are able to rent them to people that want to live there. And also, you know, we'll go more into the lease option strategy, but when you do the lease option strategy, your management of those properties is a ton lower than if it was a rental. And so I'm okay with getting these properties on the outskirts because as soon as I get it, I rehab it, I get a tenant buyer in there. I, man, it's super easy to manage, generally speaking. And, um, and it doesn't take a lot of time. So that's why I can get a property a little bit farther out because I don't have to attend to it very often. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So that's, I think, something that is like the first part of it that most people may struggle with. And just getting clear to your point on what your investment area is that you want to become an expert in, it'll help so much when you're getting tons of deals sent to you all throughout the day or week, and you're just not sure where to even start. So right. starting so one, in areas that you know. Exactly. Yeah looking in the areas that you are that you are familiar right. in investing right that's gonna be really important the other way that i look at it is i look at the price point so i for me i like to buy properties that if this is the medium price point let's say the medium price point is two hundred thousand, i want to buy, buy properties that are below the medium price point because there's a lot of demand for that specific property now there's a lot of other investors that are looking in that area as well so when you see a deal that comes up, when I see a, a deal that, that's a good deal, I usually have about 10 minutes to purchase it. Because if I don't purchase it within 10 minutes, it's gone. Because there are other people that know the markets really well and they can recognize a good deal 
within just a few minutes and then they call the wholesaler and say, hey, I want that deal. So going one so, step further on that, how do you identify a good deal? Like, like again, someone, let's say the area is a checkbox. So it's in someone's, let's say, sweet spot area and the deal is sent to them and, or it's posted on Facebook and they just see a deal, you know, a dinky looking house. It looks like it needs work. The wholesaler says, here's the ARV, here's the current rent roll, or here's what it could rent for. And that's all that they have to go on to make an offer. So what's your process or flow when it's that exact scenario? Sure. So the way that I do it is, again, I look at the area and then usually they'll send out pictures along with the address. Okay. So I'll open up the pictures and through the pictures, I'm usually able to determine the level of rehab that it needs. I mean, is this a complete gut job? If you look at it, is the ceiling coming down? Is there, is the floor coming up? You know what I mean? Is the house look, are the cracks in, in the walls? That will usually tell you, yeah, this is a major rehab. If you go in and you look at it, you're like, hey, this is dated, but it's only dated maybe 15 years. That's not that big of a deal. Or, hey, you know what? This doesn't look that bad. I could probably go in and, you know, um, do a couple of things to it and have it work out just fine. And depending on your strategy and who your end tenant or buyer is going to be, will kind of determine how much you're going to put into that rehab. When we do lease options, and again, I'll explain that more in just a little bit, but when we do lease options, a lot of times we don't have to fix up the property so that it looks wonderful, beautiful, and new. Because our ultimate buyer is somebody that they can't get a loan right now for one reason or another, but they're tired of tenants. I'm sorry, they're tired of landlords basically saying, hey, you got to move because I'm going to sell the property. They want to be able to get into a place where they can call their own, they can make it their own, and they can stay there until they can buy it. So a lot of people that really want that, they, they're willing to pay um, a little bit higher of a price, pay a little bit higher of, of rent until they can own that property because they can come in and over time, they can paint it the way that they want it painted. They can put the flooring in there that they want to be in there. You know what I mean? They can really make it their own. So um, like, let me give you an example of a property that I bought yesterday, okay? It was in Mesa um, and it came on the wholesale list for uh, $185,000. I looked at the pictures and I thought, you know what, this really doesn't need much in order to, um, in order to do a good lease option on this property. So I could probably put in maybe about 10, so be all in about 195,000, and it would probably be worth about 245. And is that just local knowledge, knowing it would be worth 245, or did you go somewhere to look at, let's say, an ARV? So this goes back to your original question, how do I analyze a deal really quick? In the areas that I know, I know them well because I just did another deal there and I did you know, two towards the end of last year where they were very similar to this house. It was a four bedroom, two bath, about 1200 square feet, close enough to that house that I'm getting. And the appraiser came in at, um, one came in at I think uh, 230, the other one came in at like 235. It's been a little bit of time since then and I know that the market's just gone up a little bit. So I'm pretty sure it would be valued at about 245. Okay. So it's easy for me to recognize that. And then also I can go on to Zillow and I can look at sold comps within that area. And that'll let me know about how much that property would be able to sell for. I also, I look at, at Zillow and I look at the Zestimate. Now I know the Zestimate is usually inaccurate, but quite often it can be within a ballpark. So if I go on there, which I did, and I looked at it and it said, okay, $220,000. 
I'm like, all right. Um, so I know that there's some equity in there, but then I look at it and I compare it to some of the ones that I recently just sold. I'm like, no, I think that this would probably be valued at 245. So I just know that in my mind. And so I'm gonna be all in at 195, and the value being 245. I've been able to create about 20% equity just doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm actually buying this property with my, um, my son. And so what's neat, and he's only 13 years old, but he and I have a property together. And so this is gonna be our second property together. And he gets to participate in the whole you know, learning process and everything. So that's awesome for him. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, so we're gonna be able to get this property. We're gonna be able to get a 30 year loan on it. And um, with interest rates being so low, we're gonna be able to probably cash flow maybe 300 bucks on this property. Uh, with the, you know, principal interest taxes and insurance payment, um, taking that from the rent that we're going to be renting it out for. When you have a lease option property, a lot of times you also don't need to really budget for maintenance because your tenant buyer is going to be the one doing a lot of the maintenance, unless there's a major issue. And if there is a major issue, I come in and I can take care of that. But most issues are not major issues. They call the plumber, they deal with the plumbing, they deal with a lot of the the smaller things. However, if the whole plumbing is completely shot and I didn't know that, then I will go and I'll fix that. But when again, going back to your original question, how can I analyze the deal so quickly? Well, I look at the pictures and then, okay, does it look like it's a major rehab, a minor rehab? And then I'll ask the wholesaler, I'll say, hey, I'm interested in this property. I'd like to know about the foundation, the electrical, the AC unit, the roof, the plumbing, and I want to know if it smells. So those are the things that I'll ask for in order to find out how much am I going to need to go in and spend on the rehab? Because those are things that are hard to find or they're hard to see in pictures. So I'll ask the wholesaler specifically about those six things and that'll just kind of guide how much it's going to cost me to rehab the property. So I got the property, it's in the area that I know. I'm able to quickly look at the pictures. If the pictures look good, um, then I'll say, hey, I'm interested in the property. Tell me about these six things. Then they'll tell me. And then I'll say, okay, I'd like to get it under contract. They say, great. Here, I'm going to forward you over the, the wholesale contract. Go ahead and sign that. And then get me some earnest money you know, to the title company. And then it'll be locked up. So I can usually buy a property within five minutes if the wholesaler is able to um, respond to my questions. And then as soon as I get that locked up, I'll send a text to my assistant and I'll say, hey, go and grab a cashier's check and go take it to this title company um, for this property. And then she does that and now I'm under contract. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So totally. because I'm a therapist and I work um, you know, doing therapy 20 to 30 hours a week, I can't go and take a look at these properties. I can't do any of the rehab or anything like that. And so what I learned, and I, I went through a, an expensive education program, um, real estate education program back in 2015. And one of the things that one of the coaches there taught me was you need to get an assistant because if you can't go and leave your practice where you earn over $100 an hour, you know, working with clients, you can't go and do that to go and walk a property or to go and grab a cashier's check and um, go take it down to the title company. You need an assistant that you can pay maybe 15 bucks an hour to go and do these smaller tasks so that you can grow your business. It's going to be very difficult to be able to grow without having help from others if you have a full-time job. And so 
I have an assistant. She's awesome, amazing. And she does that. She takes care of all of these things. That's why I can go ahead and buy a property within just a few minutes because I'm familiar with the area. I can take a look at the pictures. I can make a determination of what the ARV is going to be, uh, what the rehab is going to be, and then I can get it under contract and then send my assistant out there uh, with cashier's check and get it, you know, locked up. So that's kind of how I do it. Awesome. Okay. Just a couple quick questions on there, almost like rapid fire. Um, you mentioned you're getting a 30 year loan on this property. Huh? Is that a strategy that's repeatable for you or is that just a one-off yesterday that you're getting bank financing? So you can get, you know, 10 of these 30 year loan, you know, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans in your own name. Right. And so this is going to be one of those that I'm getting in my own name because I do own a lot of properties but the way that I have it structured and the, um, what do you call it? The, the share that I have in these large portfolios that we own make it so I can still get my third, my 10 Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans. So I'm doing this deal with my son. And as we're doing it, um, I'm going to be able to get that property um, and put it into a 30 year loan. It's going to be an investment property, but I can still use that as one of my 10 loans. And so right now I have, um, I think I have five of the 30 year loans. And um, even though I, I have 160 properties, I only have five of them in the 30 year um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans. Okay, got it. Before we dig into financing more in general, I, I just want to talk through that one scenario more of a deal that you don't have to see. So um, in that scenario, do you ever see the deal in person or is it all done by either your assistant or your partner or just what's the flow of that, of them going out there and understanding how much work needs to be done? What's the cost? Who's going to hire the contractor? All those things. All right. So to be honest, I don't need to see the properties. Okay. So we have systems in place to where I don't need to see them. Sometimes I, I go and see them because I like to see them um, if they're close. Um, and right now I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to build up my YouTube channel. And so I'll go to some of these properties and I'll, you know, do some videoing and things like that, just in order to have some content to post on my YouTube, my real estate YouTube channel. And so um, that's something that I'm doing as well. Um, but I really don't need to see them. So again, when I see the wholesale deal come in, if it looks good, I contact the wholesaler and I've worked with several wholesalers and there are definitely some wholesalers that are much better than others. There are others that I'm, I've chosen not to work with even if they show good deals because they're kind of shady and I don't like working with shady people. Everybody that I work with are high caliber people and I don't like to work with or associate with people that are shady, people that are dishonest or do things that are kind of underhanded. So when I get a deal from a wholesaler that I know and trust that I bought properties from, I can, I can know, are they, have they overinflated the ARV or is it pretty accurate? Um, so I can have a lot of confidence when I go to buy a property. So the property comes to me, I see it, I get it under contract because I'm pretty confident of the numbers. I have my assistant go and do the cashier's check, you know, go and turn in the cashier's check to the title company. And then, um, what I do is I, I create an email with my hard money lender, with the title company, with, the, with my assistant, with my partner, with my insurance agent, um, and then with my accountant. I put them all on an email and I say, hey, I'm looking to buy this property. Um, this is the amount that I'm buying it for. 
And so I work with my hard money lender. He'll lend me a certain amount in order to buy it. And then a lot of times we'll actually bring in a second position lender on the property, a private money lender that will come in and lend to us money in second position. And when I can coordinate all of that, a lot of times I'm, being, I'm able to buy these properties without any of my own money, but that came from experience. So I wasn't able to do this at the very beginning when I didn't have experience, but through gaining experience and knowing what I'm doing, I'm able to bring money to the table from a hard money lender and a private money lender. And then I'm able to get the property under contract. I'm able to um, uh, connect everybody that needs to be connected. And then all I do is I just sign the insurance um, uh, policy on my computer or my phone. And then the last thing I do is I go to the signing or a notary will come to me and then I just sign the docs and now I own the property. And my assistant has usually been over to the property during this, you know, week or, you know, however long between the time that we get it under contract and we close on it. Usually it's like a week or two. My assistant's gone over to the property, taken a look at it, gotten some bids in order to get it rehabbed because we've been able to build an awesome team of subcontractors because what happened was I was using a general contractor this was a few years ago and I was using him for a lot of our projects. But then what happened is he, his life started to fall apart and he, I given him money for five rehabs and he had taken quite a bit of that money and used it trying to put his life back together and it didn't really work, but yet my money was gone. Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically he came to me one day saying, sorry, I, I used your money on these other things, trying to fix what was going on with my life. And I'm like, uh, all right, well, there went $80,000. And so that was frustrating. <clears throat> and then his subcontractors contacted me saying, hey, we haven't been paid on these jobs. So basically, I was able to get all of his subcontractors. And now they work for me as subcontractors. So I have awesome laborers that just do a, a great job in so many areas. And so my assistant actually is also our project manager. So she goes and she, you know, uh, manages the rehabs and she schedules people to go and, and take care of all of that. So the reason we've been able to scale so well is by having an awesome assistant, just to be honest with you, she's been amazing. And one of the things that she's excited about is she's excited about learning about real estate and building a portfolio. And so over the last uh, two years, we've been able to help her grow a portfolio of up to four properties because she's been working with us. And so if we'll find a deal then, and we think, hey, this will be a good deal for her, we'll actually just go ahead and give her the deal and then she can get it and get a loan on it. And we coach her through that whole process. And so it's been really neat to help her um, develop this small little portfolio as well. So that's kind of our system. It really depends highly on my assistant, to be honest with you. And I know you don't want your system to depend on just one person. So right now we're actually expanding and getting a few more assistants to help her. But uh, that's how we do it. We find the property. My assistant does a bunch of stuff. I'm able to connect everybody on an email. And then I show up to the closing and I sign that. And then my assistant handles everything else. And then my partner helps us also determine the ARV. Right. He's a realtor and was an appraiser for a long time. And then he'll list it. Um, kind of on the MLS as a rental, but then we put it in there as a lease option. And then he gets all the calls of people wanting to do the lease option. He explains how it works. We actually have like this little four minute video online that explains how the lease option works. And so he'll send people to that video 
so that they can watch it, understand it. And then if they are still interested, then they can go take a look at the property and then they do the lease option. It, it's harder to find a good lease option tenant than it is to find a, a regular renter. And so it takes us probably uh, a month longer to actually find somebody who's gonna fit really well as a lease option person. It usually takes us about, I'd say two to um, six weeks to find a really good lease option tenant. But once they're in there, they're in there and they'll be in there for like three years. And so, cause that's, we do three year options. Right. So, so that, yeah, that's where I was going to go. Actually, last question of the show, why lease option over a regular tenant? And before you answer, can you just define what lease options are? Okay. Um, so basically uh, a lease option is where you have a tenant that wants to come in and buy a property, but they're not able to qualify for one reason or another. Maybe they just started a business about a year ago and their business is doing great but the bank wants them to have two years of tax returns showing that they're able to make the payments on a loan. And so if they don't have those two years of tax returns, because again, that can take maybe two or three years to get two years of tax returns showing what the profitability of a business is. So they're stuck in this place of, well, I guess I just need to rent because the bank won't give me a loan. Or let's say that they had some issues with some bills in the past, and so it really hurt their credit. And so their credit is like at five or 600%, or I'm sorry, five or 600, and they're not able to get a loan at that point. Now I know, you know, 600, they're probably able to qualify, but um, let's say it's like 500 or something. So they're not able to qualify. So they're just destined to be renters now, but they really want to own their own home. And so we have this option where, hey, you can come in and you can live in this home. You can kind of customize it to you and you can live there for three years working on getting your credit where it needs to be so that you can own the home. So they'll come in with like a, an option fee of usually around $4,000. So let me give you like numbers so you understand why the lease option versus the rental. Let's say I buy a property for um, actually, let's just go over this last property that I was talking about. Let's say I buy it for 185. It's going to be worth uh, 245. I have to put 10,000 into it. My all-in is about 195. It's going to be worth 245. I will probably lease option that property for about maybe I don't know. I would say um, seven to 10 percent higher on a three-year lease option. So I'll take this property and I'll do a lease option for 259,900 meaning that they come in, they give me four, like $4,000 to buy the option to buy this property at $259,000 within three years. So the property is only valued, valued at 245. However, through appreciation, it's likely going to increase by more than that. And so if it increases 3% a year, and that's about 10% over a couple year period of time, um, he's going, the, sorry, the tenant buyer will actually be able to buy it for less than what the market value will be at the time. So let's say it's appreciated up to 270 and they're able to buy it for about 260. So they come in 4,000, you know, they give you that money and they can lock in the price and then they can buy it regardless of if it appreciates a ton. And I've had some properties that have appreciated a ton over the last few years. In fact, I had one tenant buyer that we lease optioned him the property at 200 
and the appraisal actually came in at $375,000. And he was able to exercise his option and gain $175,000 of equity. And so he was super happy and we were happy because you know, we were able to gain still with that property. We gained about $100,000 with that property. And we had no idea it was going to appreciate so much. And it was also in an area that maybe other buyers wouldn't have wanted to live there. But he really wanted to live in that area because he grew up in that small little city. Anyway, so let's go back to the numbers real quick. Um, so I'm able to create, you know, $50,000 of equity. When I do the lease option, basically what happens is I'm able to charge about $100 more in rent per month for that property. I've gained the $4,000 option fee. And then when I go to sell it, I don't have to pay any closing costs. I don't have to pay any realtors to sell it. Because if you go to sell a property for like 260, you're gonna be paying probably about, I don't know, 15 to $20,000 of closing costs. So I don't have to pay any of that. That's just kept as my profit. And while they were in there, they were paying down the mortgage and so usually this is what happens. I make about two to three times of what, what of how much I would make as um, if I were to um, flip the property. So doing the lease option, I make two or three times of what I would usually make just flipping the property. And the reason I don't want to keep it as a rental is because if it's a rental, I have a renter in there and the renters have renter mentality, which is the, the landlord is supposed to take care of everything with the property. So if the garbage disposal goes out, I call the landlord. If the toilet gets clogged, I call the landlord. And they don't really take care of the property as if it were their own. So my tenants in these lease option properties, they take care of the property. They go in and um, if, we, if they need to call a plumber, they'll call a plumber. They'll take care of the garbage, garbage disposal. They'll take care of all of those things. Okay. And so I don't have to budget for maintenance. I don't have to budget for turnover because they're usually in the property for a long period of time. And so um, basically it just lessens a ton of my, my management fees because I also don't have to have a property manager because it's super easy to manage the property. And I have my assistant manage the property. Does that make sense? So all of those things basically make it easier than a rental and I make more money. It's, it's really, you look at it as a long-term flip because that's what it is. There's, a, there's an exit strategy. I'm gonna keep it for about three years, four years, and then I'll be done with it. I'll create about maybe 50 to 70,000 on that one deal. I can take that, I can 1031 exchange it into another deal, yep. or I can just take the profit and then go and do something else with it. So that's why I've done that. And, and real quick, I wanna just put this plug in. So basically the way that we buy it is the Burr strategy but then we add the lease option strategy to it. And so I've kind of created the, the Burlow strategy. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the thing that I've, you know, written some articles and stuff about that. And it's kind of fun. So it's the Burlow strategy, taking the Burr method and then adding it to the lease options. Shiloh, what's the best way for us to follow you or connect with you online? So you can connect with me on bigger pockets. I, I, spend a lot of time there, you know, posting and everything like that. But really one thing that I'm excited about is I'm uh, building my YouTube channel uh, focused on real estate investing. And so right now I have about 20 videos. I explain the lease option strategy really well. I go into a lot of different topics specifically about investing in real estate. I think the last video I posted was about how to get your spouse on board 
with investing in real estate. Because there's a lot of people that want to invest, but their spouse isn't on board. And so as a therapist, I know a lot of um, psychological principles of how to um, resolve conflict in relationships. And that's what it is. It's just how to resolve this conflict about the fears that come up for somebody for to invest in real estate. Mm-hmm. So I have that. I have a video on um, getting an awesome assistant, um, building a great partnership, um, how to get properties, you know, for under market value. So I have a, just a ton of videos on there. So um, one way of, you know, following me is you go on my YouTube channel and you subscribe to it, you like the videos, that's always helpful for me. Um, but that's a great way of following me and, and learning some of these strategies that I teach about. Awesome, Shiloh. This has been great, man. Everything has been very tactical and step-by-step. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and uh, best of luck in 2021, man. It's going to be fun to watch. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I super appreciate it. So thank you. All right. All the best. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 